Hey everyone, welcome to the Sneaker History Podcast, where we dive into the people, stories, and iconic moments that have helped make sneakers a global phenomenon. If you've ever told someone that you like their kicks, then you're in the right place. Before we lace up this episode, here's a little teaser for you. Stick around to the end of each episode for the last shot question. It's a chance to test your sneaker knowledge and engage with our community. I've also recently started a newsletter to share my knowledge from nearly two decades of experience working in the footwear industry. You can find the link to that below or go to sneakerhistory.com slash newsletter for a weekly deep dive into the biggest topics in the sneaker business. All right, now that the business is taken care of, grab your favorite pair of kicks and let's get started with the episode. What up, what up? Welcome to the Sneaker History Podcast. My name is Nick Ingvall. I'm with my guy, Rowett. We're going to talk a little bit about All-Star Weekend because it just happened. It's fresh on the brain. And uh, frankly, there was a lot of good things and a lot of things that I miss about All-Star Weekend that kind of came up in conversation this weekend but before we get into that how you doing Rowett? let me put my all-star shades on and then we can get in that proper frame of mind so shout outs to babyators <laughs> i think they're called anyway Amazing. no it was a really good one i'm really looking forward to talk about the on the court activities the off the court activities because as always all-star weekend gives you something to talk about in this particular instance i think for the first time in a long time and maybe this is a tired narrative you're going to see in every other podcast or media source that you listen are consuming that i think the bad kind of outweighed the good this time around but happy to chop it up with you about that nick yeah man i i mean i i guess like that's i feel like i don't know how i feel about it that's the weirdest part because there were some things that i thought were really cool uh i thought the three-point contest so one i thought all of the like as much as it was a little overbranded with the starry, whatever starry beverage, uh, you know, sponsor. I think that's a Sierra Miss of a advertisement <laughs> rollout if I've ever seen one. But I mean, the court did look cool on all the like intros and the presentations and stuff, and that was like, like there was a wow factor for me. You know, as somebody who works in marketing, it was like, wow, it, you know, it actually turned out great. You know, like. I haven't done like an all-star activation for a few years, pre-pandemic actually, so five plus years. The first one that I did was actually about 10 years ago now, and it was it was such a different time. We didn't have the ability to do these like live productions. You know, we were either like the sneaker moment was separate from the actual like event. And now everything is kind of wrapped up into one big thing, and obviously there's all these things that are happening. But just seeing that all happen and the kind of – even even going into like the dunk contest and Kai Sanat like having his moment for like the social aspect, it was like okay, like I can see the effort and I can see like the the grand pic the, the the big picture here. I thought the three point contest was pretty good, like you know it it had enough of the one. It was crazy how those guys those guys were on fire, right? Like twenty six points for four of them in the first round was like whoa. But it also made me miss the depth on the dunk contest. And I think those two things, the reason why I bring them up first is because they are like the core pedestals of what All-Star Weekend or maybe All-Star Saturday has become, right? The game itself is always kind of like hit or miss. You're going to get a bunch of highlights. You're going to get your you know potential viral moments. But it's never like competitive, competitive. You know, it's like it, it gets competitive for a few minutes at the end. But most of the if game, we're lucky. yeah, if we're lucky, and most of the games are like kind of mailing it in and and showmanship, right? And I appreciate that. 
And I think to go back and kind of circle back, I think the highlight of the weekend is is the Sabrina and Steph stuff to kick it off. And then like it's almost like it started so good. How do you live up to that, you know? I I think that's a very interesting thing, right? And I agree with you. The court to me is probably the biggest sleeper star that came out of that weekend. And I think if I could make my hot take, because usually I save those for the other podcast, I think we're going to see that type of court within every single NBA arena within the decade. It just seems to be an inevitability. This was a proof of concept. And I think the biggest questions I had is if I'm understanding the composition of that court, it's mostly glass, but I did not see anybody slip too egregiously. And the thing is with events like the dunk contest, especially, like you want to make sure that thing is as stable as possible because these guys need that stable launching point to do whatever it is that's going to blow our mind. From the actual competition's perspective, I mean, I know that that's the popular narrative last couple of years is the fact that the three-point shootout is what you and I once considered the dunk contest to be, which was a ascendancy moment for a certain type of superstar or reaffirming somebody's bona fides as an all-time great, much like Lillard did because I think he's the first person since Jason Capono to do the back-to-back in the three-point shootout, which is saying something because I do think that that is probably the most common skill set an elite NBA player has now is everybody's a shooter. And I don't know if I ever thought that every elite NBA player was a dunker the same way that I do here. But I also think it's a great equalizer as well because you mentioned the highlight of this event was Sabrina v. Steph. And I thought for what it was, it was incredibly understated, but in a good way, right? I think... Had this thing occurred a couple of years ago, I think we would have been under armored out and we would have been swooshed out because those are the respective giants that both of those players represent. But that was actually fairly muted. The shooting was actually at the forefront of the spectacle. And kudos to you, uh, Sabrina, because Nick had mentioned we had four guys hit 26. We had a fifth person hit 26 from the NBA line. And thank you yeah. for that, Kenny Smith, because you've done the impossible. You made Reggie Miller the voice of reason and actually likable during an NBA broadcast with your ass-backward takes from like the 1950s. But I think it, it's interesting as well because one thing I'll bring up with you, and we really didn't do any sort of prep with this particular interview, was I also come from an era that marking was at an all-time high. Like the hallmark of the All-Star Games for what I would consider in the teens was always about the sneaker dropping. And let me ask you this, Nick. The king of the sneaker history cinematic universe what was the most memorable sneaker moment of this weekend i mean it's honestly hard to say i i don't think anything stood out i think i what i loved to your point is that the sabrina and steph event was not there was not a forced conversation around sneakers. You know, the thing that I think we've talked about in previous episodes that comes to mind is like Anthony Edwards has the the Adidas team and Anthony Edwards have figured out a way to like get people talking about the shoe without the forced narrative that always imply that always just is a part of all-star weekend. Like, I love it and I hate it. You know, it's, it's, it's good and it's bad, right? Cause it's, it, it helps us, you know, in the business sell shoes. It helps us, you know, create memories that we have something tangible to be, to be a part of, right? Cause you're either, if you, if you're a, a real true passionate fan about the sport, you either want to buy a Jersey or a, you know, all-star weekend, you know, t-shirt or something or a pair of shoes. I thought that the most, the thing that I saw most passed around probably on social was KD lacing up his KD fours, which I thought was cool. Cause sometimes I think 
there's a disconnect between like the brands saying, Hey, we're going to retro this product and actually getting it on the feet of the players, you know? Um, and then I think not really focused on or spoken about was Anthony Edwards. Like his shoes definitely got a lot of buzz this weekend. I thought the Steph Curry pack was really cool. Um, you know, like, so, so I mentioned like I had done like the first kind of all-star weekend that was for the anatomic spawn to the, the original anatomic spawn. It was like right when Curry signed with Under Armour, we set up a basketball court in a mall in new Orleans. And, you know, it was incredible for me to be able to be a part of it. And we had Nightwing and Jacques Slade and, you know, Jordan Ramirez, who works on Curry's team now, who was a Warriors world at the time. And, Yo, Auntie and a ton of different people like involved in it, but, but it was like, so it was such a challenge for me because we didn't know how to do that. This is like a Google hangout, you know, that we were trying to put on the live stream. And, and back then you didn't, you didn't have a tool like Riverside that we use or, or a tool like StreamYard where you can just turn it on and everybody joins. It was like, okay. Like I ran to Radio Shack in the mall, Radio Shack, rest in peace. You know, like I ran to Radio Shack four times that weekend to get a little extra something else to be like, okay, we're going to need this. And, you know, like it, it turned out great. And, um, I'm thankful to have that experience, but like fast forward to now, everything is so over the top in a lot of ways that you miss that like rawness in a lot, in you know, and it's like, I understand what they were. I'm, I'm rambling a little bit, but I'll come back to the shoes. I understand what they were trying to do with Kai being in the chair with, you know, Jalen Brown dunk, dunking over him, having him on live stream. Like, I understand that's the current world where we're at, right? And if you're that one person that gets to sit in that chair and your fans get to see you get jumped over for the dunk contest, hey, it's cool, right? But most fans want something tangible, which is where the sneakers always come back into the conversation. No matter how far away we go from sneakers, I think they are the, they are even a, a step beyond the jerseys, right? Cause not everybody wears basketball jerseys. Not everybody is going to wear like an, you know, an indie, uh, you know, Indianapolis, you know, 2024 all-star t-shirt, nothing against it, but it's just the way that people kind of consume. Right. So sneakers are the most like attainable piece of that memory. And I think that, that's the hardest part when, as this is growing, is that you don't have the, the like real tangible takeaway from it. Like I thought, I thought it was so dope to see Dame finally get his starting role, win the MVP, win the three point shootout back to back. Right. Like to me, he's the superstar of the weekend and well-deserved long overdue. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of his shoes, his line. You know, he's from Oakland, like he does so much in the community, you know, not far from where I'm at, that it's like, this guy deserves to be celebrated for way more than basketball. The downside to that is he played in the last shoe, and then kind of had a release party to show off the new shoe. So it wasn't like, give me that shoe. Like, you know, if, if they would have dropped that shoe this weekend, I would have, I would have been hyped to get it and order it. And I think that like kind of was disappointing. I get that the timing doesn't always work out to do those things. But I say that to say like LeBron and the tie to the nostalgia of the Deion Sanders shoe actually kind of stole the show from everyone 
at the at kind of the last moment, you know, because it was like, wow, that's we know that LeBron does that, and his team has done really well at like highlighting the shoes that he grew up liking. I mean, this is like a regular thing, but like to do it on All Star Weekend in the midst of you know like what we would normally expect to be like, here's the LeBron Twenty One All Star shoe, was like the the perfect curveball to like make people go wow that's crazy look at that in a way that in a- no, and that's where i'm gonna kind of jump in yeah. that was the most memorable shoe moment to me yeah. was because of the fact that dion was the guy in a season of college football where there is now a lot of uncertainty but he was a shining light whether you agree with his tactics or not the crazy thing about what you were mentioning to me is as well as it's one thing to have certain shoes that are designated as the all-star sneaker but it's another when they don't have that oomph behind them, which is something yeah. you're alluding to, right? Yep. I'm a big Anthony Edwards guy. He's the rare athlete that's made me cross boundaries in a sense where I'm contemplating purchasing Adidas product. And that's almost a heresy in our industry. Now, that being said, if he had a T-Mac S moment of throwing it off the backboard and catching it, or even something like Tyrese Halliburton, who for me, one of my favorite, most understated moments of the game was his homage to Jason Williams and that elbow pass yeah, yep. that I don't even know if Dave made the shot, but I just think it's great that he did that. Like yep. whatever shoe you're wearing when you do that, and hopefully that thing goes viral, that's how we do these moments. And I think to your point as well, like maybe I can't have my cake and eat it too, because like, let's say... Sabrina went 29 for 30. Whatever shoe she was wearing, like, that should have been a sneakers activation. And then conversely, like, Curry with the Curry Jam, like, if he had put on an all-time performance in his version of the shootout, like, that's another one of those things you can at least kind of say, hey, I was a part of that moment because I was in my parents' room, my room, my grandparents' room, wherever you watched it, and you had that connection to that athlete or that moment or that shoe. Because I do agree with you. There's something inherently... I don't want to say tacky about an all-star jersey, but we're kind of living in the gilded age of jerseys. Shout out to Fanatics and all these other companies that, hey, maybe Bobby Mullins will be the Upton Sinclair and bring a source of decency and do some sort of muckraking journalism that allows us to get our jerseys back. Yeah. But shoes still feel like a stabilizing effect that seemed to be the perfect snapshot or encapsulation of a weekend. And we got breadcrumbs, but we didn't have any – or rather, we got the sizzle, but we never got the steak behind it. Like, there wasn't anything that truly took, your, uh, truly took your breath away from an all-star performance perspective, and I think that's where ultimately it's lacking. Now, if you want to tie that back to the fact that, hey, these guys don't seem to care, as evident by the 211 to 186 score, maybe there's a point to that. But then at the same time, it's still an exhibition game. And I know enough to know that for all of his perceived faults or – his actual shortcomings, Adam Silver is not going to go the baseball route and put home court in the championship game around it, but there does need to be some sort of overhaul. And that seems to be the billion dollar question coming out of it. And then a million dollar follow-up to that is how and when do we see the sneaker companies kind of adjust to it? Because they also need to have their bread buttered. And what used to be a very pinnacle weekend, because to Nick's point, like everybody would debut their new hotness or that, like you mentioned New Orleans, right? The Alligator King, uh, LeBron 11, like that's one that got away, even though it shouldn't have been because it's not that kind of memorable in the grand scheme of things of LeBron's career, but it's just something I always wanted. So it's one of those things where you're going to have moments like that. It just seems like they're not delivering on it. And that's where we are trying to kind of piece the, uh, pick up the pieces and put it back together in terms of what makes a good all-star weekend. And then conversely, what makes a good sneaker event as it relates to all-star weekend. Yeah. I, I think, I think the one of the things that stood out as like a, Kind of, t- you mentioned basically the 
the three-point shootout becoming the dunk contest of the modern era, right? Like, I think that is a very telling... Obviously, if the sport evolves into everyone shooting from half court, then this is where we're at and this is where we're headed with the sport, right? So you kind of have to embrace that. But for some reason, I feel like as much as, yes, there were sneakers obviously worn for the three-point shootout, that wasn't highlighted the way if we watch a dunk contest in the past, it's highlighted. And to to like kind of throw another curveball into the whole equation for the dunk contest, one, you only have four players, which I don't like that format personally, but then you have a G League guy, Matt McClung, who ends up winning it again, which, yeah, back-to-back, right? Like, so... It's great because he's pretty damn good at what he does, obviously. But, like, does he have, like, is he the star that can sell a shoe? Or does he even have a shoe specific for it? You know, like, there's all these elements to it that it's just, like, shifted so much. To to your point, it's like, okay, well, what, the, the courts are going to become part of the star. You're going you're gonna to have to have some element that pulls the sneakers into that moment. Where if the court is all lit up in green and yellow for, you know for the event when are we going to start to see the rest of that video game approach to yeah where it's like show me a flash of the shoes and like give me those you know because it's equally as important for the brands to see their return on their investment as the league to see their intern on return on their investment in my opinion no it's a really good one and a couple different points right the other big sporting event from an american perspective that just concluded was the super bowl and what was the big highlight of that weekend outside of the game and the players itself was the sphere and i know that adidas had a particular installation where my lord and savior patrick levon mahomes was featured prominently <laughs> on that dome but then to counteract that programming nike had i believe an ar experience where even if it was showing mahomes on the screen or on whatever you want to call it in terms of the sphere if you put your phone up on it, you would see a Nike character. So it's that type of creative yeah. programming and counter-programming that's going to make sure that these LED courts are here to stay. And I wouldn't be surprised if, let's say, next year, and I think this is the other point I'm going to get into. Nick, do you know where the All-Star game is next year? No. It is in Golden State. Oh, I did know Francisco. that, now that you said that. Yeah, perfect, right? Yep, yep. And so the reason why I say that is this, right? I saw enough of this that I think it would be a major fumbling of the bag if Nike didn't do, or sorry, if the NBA didn't do two things, subconscious slip there. First thing, because it's in the Bay and you have arguably two of the greatest shooters in your backyard, I think you need to have Stephen Clay in some form of shootout, whether it be the actual main event or whether it be this exhibition style thing, which I kept seeing proposed where similar to what TNT was doing with the match, where you take uh, two football players against other two football players or mix and match. I think you have to do the splash brothers versus lack of a better term, the splash sisters of Ionescu and Clark, because this will also be the combination of Caitlin Clark's first year. And I think the streets are clamoring for it. The kids are clamoring for it. And it's that rare event that if I'm a little sister, I get to get a seat next to the couch next to my brother. I get a seat next to my dad, and I get to have somebody that I can root an interest for because she looks like me. Yep. Not only that, the other big thing that we like to call the two-headed juggernaut of All-Star Saturday Night, which is the NBA dunk contest, arguably the most memorable – no, I'll say it. It was the most memorable dunk contest we've ever seen. The Vince Carter coronation, as Russ Bensington called it way back when, was also in Oakland. 
And I think there is a timeline where not only do you get the likes of a Zion, a Jaw, and Anthony Edwards, and then maybe you want to put Mac McClung in there because that would truly be something. You get a three-peat against those perceived titans of the dunk in my hypothetical scenario. Like That's how you start winning people over. The game itself, I still think, is a little bit of a lost cause. But if we can at least nail Saturday night, that's fine by me. Because one of those three nights has to be memorable. And if I'm the NBA, I almost put all my basket eggs in the basket of the Saturday night as opposed to the Sunday night. Because now we have enough of a precedence that unless you bring something out like the Elam ending, which we did a couple of years ago with the All-Star game to at least give it some sort of sprucing up, I don't think anybody cares. Yeah, I would agree. So I love those ideas for next year. And let me ask you one thing. In a conversation with a group of friends earlier today, most of the, let's say, talking was about the bygone era of the superstars being a part of it, right? Like, as much as I like Damian Lillard, he's not Steph Curry level. He, I mean... Might not He's not S tier, right? Yeah. Like we we love to do the A tier, B tier, and yeah. then there's the concept of the S tier, which is higher than an A. Yeah, like they are truly special. Yep, and and it's the same thing for the dunk contest. You know, like LeBron never did the dunk contest. You know, like obviously at this point in his career, he probably doesn't. My argument is that LeBron, like the thing that LeBron does with dunks is like he throws it down with so much force that I don't even think that translates onto slow motion the way that the artistic element some of these other guys come to the dunk contest with. So is that, is there a way to get an Anthony Edwards like at his arguably at his prime at his peak of like, you know, fandom and like who else needs to be a part of that? Because to me, four guys in the dunk contest doesn't connect with a broad enough audience it doesn't give you the like second round you know like you could get into like technicalities of judging and all that i actually think to your point about the courts like we watch all these other sports we see the trajectory of a pass we see the velocity of a home run instantly but in a dunk contest we don't get to see anything like that we could see the height of the ball we could see the height of the person's head the the vertical to the bottom of the feet all those stats that were engrossed in in every other sport they're not a, they're not even there for for all-star weekend hardly at all you know and i think this is where they have to go back to the chalkboard because they use this as an opportunity to start anew again and the reason why i mentioned the three players that i did alongside mac mcclung from the slam dunk competition with the exception of maybe edwards everybody has a redeeming quality that they need to take back zion is not who he was coming out of duke ja is not who ja was off of that rookie year. They need to come back. They need to get a win, not only for the game, but for the press conference, right? It's one of my most belabored points. Yeah. You have to win the press conference just as much as you have to win the game sometimes. And I don't think Zion and Ja have done a good enough job of that. And that's granted just my opinion. The other inherent thing about what I consider to be the golden age of the analytics era across modern sports is I don't think basketball lends itself as well to that the same way football does and the same way baseball does. I mean, there's a couple different examples, right? Anytime you watched an NFL game this year, there was almost always that ubiquitous ad of AWS. And they had these really crazy stats about uh, pass window, percentage of catch, uh, like overall speed. I just think 
that's tough because I remember having buddies that were in Nike plus basketball at the time and their big metrics were, okay, how much time or how much distance have we covered on a court? How fast can you go and how high you can jump, which are great. The first three or four times you do it. Yeah. But I don't think it lends itself well to a repeatability unless you're really uberly athletic and uberly athletically competitive that you're like, I'm going to out jump you every single game to your buddy. But then there's also that barrier of entry because it's so, it costs so much to get into that necessary game. So I don't know. It'll be very interesting. The thing where the shooting comes into play is this. Shooting is so unique because you look at the likes of somebody like a Steph or a Clay that have a very pure form. But then you compare and contrast that with one of my favorite players or somebody I mentioned earlier today, Tyrese Halliburton, right? He's got an unorthodox shot. You know that as a Kings fan. Does it lend itself well? Because ultimately, at the end of the day, as long as a shot goes in, I don't necessarily think people care how it goes in. They may have a morbid curiosity around some of the schematics of it, but I don't know if it can do that unless it's easily replicatable. Now, you and I are saying this. There could be somebody that listens to this that's an even bigger Tyrese Halliburton fan than I am, and they've completely reworked their shot because they want to pay homage to their idol and shoot like him for better or for worse. So that's yeah. where I do think it's going to be hard for them to kind of counteract. Go ahead, Nick. Well, I think I, I agree. And I, I almost feel like, you know, Nike Plus is a great example. I almost feel like like with other sports, they continued to to work through it and figure it out to get to this point. We didn't care. Like, I never cared about the, the velocity a ball leaves a bat, you know, like especially as like a pit, former pitcher and like a guy that loves – I'm the nerd that loves to watch two guys throw no hitters, you know, like that's my favorite type of baseball. It's like, okay, a one hit game and it's all pitching strategy. But now that I know and have seen the speed of the ball off the bat, it's like, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about it. You know, like I want to be like, damn, I wish I would have seen that in the Barry Bonds era or, you know, the, the Maguire and Sosa era. So I wonder if like, we're missing that for the sport of basketball. And that's part of, cause like all-star weekend seems like the easiest point of entry for that, where you don't have to commit to a full season of tracking all this stuff. It doesn't have to be super crazy. It's like, this is the, just a cool factor for the weekend. Let, let us show you a few things here and there. And if, if people talk about it on social, then it's like, okay, maybe we revisit this for next season or for the finals or playoffs or whatever. It's a proof of concept weekend. Ultimately, I think yeah. they need to start embracing that. I mean, and I thought we were going down the right path, right, with the Elam ending. Yeah. Say what you will about it. It was a curious way to end a game that, unlike anything we've ever seen before, because basketball in particular is one of those rare sports that when we play it recreationally, we don't play it the same way that our heroes and idols play it. They always play to a whistle in terms of a time. We, as recreational weekend warriors, always play to a, a set score. Yeah. For the first time in a long time, we actually got to play a similar format of game, which I thought meant, you know what, let's keep this here because it's intriguing. And what's the worst that's going to happen? Because ultimately, in the grand scheme of things, and I'm going to use this as a soapbox moment, I don't care how many times you're nominated as an all-star. I don't think that should really add anything to your legacy, just because the fact that with each subsequent and passing year, that game becomes more and more diluted. It's a nice tiebreaker in a sense to have, but I just think it's lost its way and it's lost its meaning. Yeah, I, I, I like kind of, I agree wholeheartedly. And I, I feel like there are bits and pieces that were really awesome. There are things that I think would make it a little more interesting here and there. Like I'm talking a lot about the analytics, but like, I personally don't actually care about that. Like the only reason that I, I actually kind of thought about that even further this 
weekend was because of Matt McClung, right? Like he obviously is six inches shorter than most of the other guys out there. He's getting up ridiculously high for a man his height. But the other part of that is like, and maybe this is just me being old, like rock and jock basketball in the MTV era was like absolutely bananas and entertaining and fun. And like, it was never the same. Sometimes the, the, you know, there was a third basket that was like 30 feet high, a hundred point shot. shot. Like it it was like moving back all those things. Like, I feel like that, although like, you know, I get that the league is also trying to keep a, you know, they have a brand to consider, but like, they're also having fun with a lot of these other elements of the sport. Maybe it's time for them to mix up the game itself to that extent, you know, because obviously 211 points, if you have like a, a set target of how many points you need to score, these guys are capable of who, who knows what, you know, like, like the way, the way these guys are shooting now, you know, you could throw a, a 20 spot or something, you know, kind of rock and jock style and be like, yeah, first team to hit 500 gets it you know and that would be interesting right because it would force the other team to defend certain ways and it would just mix it up and make it a little bit more than the kind of monotonousness that has come to be it goes back to your point right the video game uh, video gamification of our sports not only do you need to score 100 points you need to hit certain side quests and that's what i'm calling them right like you should be able to hit three 20 point shots you need to be able to get 15 assists just Whatever the case may be, this is two people just attempting to workshop it. Obviously, it's not going to be exciting now. But in the hands of true professionals, you're going to make something creative that all of us will watch. Because ultimately, and we'll emphasize the history portion of the secret history thing, Rock and Jack really should be the reference point for this. Because there was just a level of fun there that we have not seen in any sort of competitive, I shouldn't say competitive because it's almost oxymoronic, (laughs) any sort of recreational all-star game setting, whether it be basketball, baseball, football, I mean, I always thought hockey did it best in terms of incorporating their skills competition because not only did you have multiple events, but every single member of the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference had to be in one of those events. And, like, there's a strategy involved. And as much as we like putting a ball in a basket or a puck in a net, we also like the strategy aspect of it at times if you give us exposure to it. 100% agree. So my last question, I'll I'll be uh... – totally transparent i didn't watch the celebrity stuff on friday at all i was i refuse no i did not either part of me wants to like see the i i'll watch the clips and stuff now but it's like i'm not going to prioritize that in my weekend two days two two like most of friday or excuse me most of saturday and and most of sunday committed to watching is about as much as i can like carve out of my life to to be a fan and I'm wondering if, like, they need to actually revisit that, too, and be like, okay, like, yes, it's great for people that are there in Indianapolis to have three nights of things to do. But the fans outside of Indianapolis, I don't think, are committed to that the same way, right? Like, it just – it feels it feels too heavy of a burden to be like, ah, oh, I'm going to watch all this. And maybe I'm, like, fading as a, as a, you know, diehard Hoops fan or something. I don't know. I don't think you are. I mean, I – Put it this way, we lived through the Belieber era where he was in those celebrity games all the time. I'm sure there was a BTS component or some K-pop equivalent in a couple more recent All-Star games. I've never heard an ounce in terms of what ratings they get. I think it's kind of a dead thing. In fact, my argument would be, like, let's just retire the format. 
if you want, you can allow them to be ambassadors during the game, have them serve as like press conference interviewees, much the same way we do the media day for the Super Bowl. Now, I think ideally for me, if you ask me how we restructure it, I think this, you give Friday night to the three-point shootout, you give Saturday night to the dunking. Because A, those need to be marquee events, and marquee events need to stand alone on the test of time. And it is going to be one of those things that we don't know what the right answer is. We're not even going to know if it's staring us in the face and telling us, hey, hey, I'm the right answer. Like, (laughs) follow this format going forward. Because we are so conditioned to complain about All-Star Weekend, even if it's a great All-Star Weekend, that... I have to make sure that if I am like you, Nick, not giving the time and effort to all three days, it's almost, here's my uh, cross-sport comparison, right? You and I talk about Monaco, the Formula One race, right? And it's a very peculiar race in the sense that the race itself, very boring, but the most exciting aspect of it is what? The qualifying. So that is essentially the NBA All-Star Weekend equivalent of Formula One racing. And maybe that's the thing where it's like, The game, much like the race, has become an afterthought. And the fun is when you get to see these guys on a uh, sparse, very congested track doing their magic against only themselves because that's when the sport truly shines and that's what a slam dunk contest is. That's what a three-point shootout is. You're not competing against anybody in that moment. It's really you against the basket and your own mental sanity. So I'll leave it at that. Yeah, no, that's a great, great way to put it. I 100% agree. Uh, yeah, I guess like I, I would just pose the question to everyone listening to the audience and, and like listeners, let us know what you think about all-star weekend. You know, I think it was, there were some, some definitely some interesting things and some great things. Like I said, in the last episode, like having friends there that helped put some of this like actual event on as a part of the Pacers organization, it was great. Those things like shine to me, but I also know that I just love seeing my friends do cool shit. So, um, but it, it's i think that the league needs to do a better job of asking this same question so who knows maybe somebody from the league or from somewhere near the league can take some of these ideas and run with it and turn it into something that we can all get super excited about and if we're wrong definitely let us know we just appreciate the conversation so um yeah anyway i guess let everybody know how they can find you outside of the show row uh, you can find me on X at Rohizi, on Instagram at Rohadem, on WebMD at the Congested Boy from Jendiger. No, uh, thank you guys so much for bearing with me. But anytime I get to do an emergency pod with the Godfather, I try to do it even if I'm sick. So thanks for that, Nick. <laughs> of course, man. Um, yeah, follow me at Nick Ingvall on all the platforms. More importantly, uh, at Sneaker History Everywhere. And hit the first link in the description wherever you're watching or listening to this to join the Discord. And uh, continue the conversation in between our episodes. We'll catch you on the next one. We appreciate you. Peace. Hey, hey, Nick here again. Before you take off, I want to thank you for listening to the Sneaker History Podcast. Be sure to hop into our Discord to answer this episode's The Last Shot question and get to know our community of sneaker enthusiasts. If you'd like more insights on the trending topics in the sneaker world, I've also recently started a newsletter to share my knowledge from nearly two decades of experience working in the footwear industry. You can find the link to that below or go to sneakerhistory.com newsletter. And last but not least, tell someone you like their kicks today. You never know how far a simple compliment can take you, and we all know how good it feels to be on the receiving end of some appreciation. Thank you for all the support, and we will catch you on the next episode. Peace.